Section 59 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, an authentic record of remarkable cases, by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombow. Homicide, Part 36. The Hartung Crime. Bernard Hartung was a merchant at Magdeburg in the beginning of 1853, and was well known for his cultivation and his apparent business success. He had been three times married, and was now living in much comfort, though in point of fact laboring under great pecuniary embarrassment, with a wife to whom he was undoubtedly much attached. Coming home one evening, he found his aunt, his mother's sister, Emma Schroeder, an unmarried woman of about forty, spending the evening with his wife. Tea was over, and after a little pleasant and cheerful conversation, in which they urged him to sit down to the table and eat, he got up, saying he had to go out for a few minutes and would soon be back. He returned with some cake in his hands, visors, of a kind of which he knew his aunt was particularly fond. With a smile on his face, he called for two dessert plates and put a cake on each, one of which he placed directly opposite his wife and the other to his aunt. The latter tasted hers first and remarked upon something gritty when the wife offered to change with her, which, however, she laughingly declined. At ten o'clock the aunt returned home and at midnight was seized with violent pains. At dawn a physician was called in who could do nothing more than speak of the improbabilities of recovery. Hartung was sent for, but apparently questioning the reality of the danger, he went down to his counting-room, making his partner's absence the ground of excuse. At three o'clock in the afternoon, however, the condition of the sufferer was much worse. Her breath became lighter. She had fallen into a comatose condition from which it was impossible to arouse her, and this news being sent to him, he at last hastened to her bedside, she was dead, having sunk away in perfect calmness. He at first was overcome with a paroxysm of grief, and it was some time before he recovered sufficiently to enable him to inquire into the circumstances of her illness. The nurse mentioned casually the cake which the deceased had eaten the previous night, which, during her illness, she had said she feared was not entirely right. Hartung did not move a single muscle. The nurse repeated the entire remark of the deceased, Perhaps that cake was not quite right. Perhaps it was poison. Hartung smiled compassionately and said she was raving. So indeed all the bystanders thought. He then proceeded to examine into her effects. She was in poor circumstances, supporting herself in part by music teaching, and but a few hundred dollars were found, which were divided equally between Hartung and his two sisters, they being the heirs at law. The funeral was ordered in some haste, but this was attributed by Hartung to the illness of a daughter of a lady lodging in the same house. In the meantime, the dying statements of the deceased began to be noised about, and the public suspicion rose so high that in a few days Hartung was arrested. He opposed a bold and determined front to the officers, and indignantly demanded his discharge. He fell into the hands of a police magistrate, distinguished for his tact and experience, it was then that a scene took place so characteristic of the present method of German procedure. 
that we translated in full from the official report. It was evening. Two lights standing in the center of the green-covered table lighted the office sufficiently to enable everything in it to be seen. Hartung did not know the magistrate. They saluted each other, and the magistrate, looking at him calmly but firmly in the eye, stated to him the nature of the charge as to which he was about to be examined. Hartung was unacquainted with the searching nature of the process to which he was about to be subjected, and found its solemnity and pointedness not a little oppressive. The quiet calmness with which the magistrate enumerated to him the several grounds of suspicion threw him at last into a confusion from which he was unable to rally. The magistrate watched him narrowly, and then laid before him in a very few words the only means by which he could escape from the distressing incertitude into which he was placed, viz. by a free and open confession, to place himself right before God and man. Hartung sank under this new appeal. He could no longer retain his former threatening bearing, and he suddenly turned and asked, To whom have I the honor to speak? The answer paralyzed him still more, for it gave the name of an officer famous in the detection of crime, and for its skillful treatment of the accused. He asked for a private interview, when the magistrate continued to inquire whether he was conscious of guilt. In part, in part was the agonized reply. A partial guilt is impossible here, said the magistrate calmly. Are you guilty of your aunt's death, or are you not guilty? The reply was, guilty, and the magistrate seized this moment of paroxysm to draw forth a full confession. If you confess that you poisoned your aunt, you must give your reasons. Hartung shuddered. His pride could hardly bear this strain. Was it your intention to destroy your aunt by poison? Yes, that was my object. Was your motive hatred? No. Did you expect to gain anything? Hartung shuddered again, and it was with difficulty that at last he replied, Whatever money my aunt left, I have secured. It fell to me as rightful heir. He then went on to excuse himself on the ground that his aunt was about to make a match with a person for her junior in years, whose object, evidently, was to obtain the little property of which she was possessed. He then went on to explain how he had effected the poisoning, which was by mixing arsenic with the sugar on the cake. The next step was to fortify this confession by the examination of the corpse, the body seemed entirely unchanged, and all expression of pain was drawn from the countenance by the calm which succeeds death. Hartung was brought to view the body, and with the exception of a slight recoil, retained entire composure. The post-mortem gave the most unmistakable evidence of the presence of arsenic. In the examination of Hartung's house, similar traces were discovered. An amount of pure arsenic was found, which was enough to poison half a city. Of this, however, Hartung denied all knowledge. The only answer he would give was that it was the refuse of what he had wanted in the store, and that it had been cast away there and forgotten. And at the close of the primary hearings, he solemnly purged himself of having been concerned in any prior similar violations of the law. The suspicions, however, that had been excited against him now began to extend over a wider field. Cases of prior sudden death were enumerated within the circle of his immediate influence, and the following remarkable facts were brought to light, connecting him unmistakably with the poisoning of his second wife 
under the following circumstances. In 1850, Marie Braconnier, to whom he had shortly before been married, and who was then in the freshness and fullness of early womanhood, told one of her own female friends that she was troubled with an anxious presentiment arising from her husband, who was then much embarrassed in his circumstances, pressing her to consent to have her life insured. Her feelings of dread arose not from suspicion, but from her unwillingness to unite in a step which she could scarcely understand, and which was necessarily beset with gloomy associations. She yielded, however, but scarcely had she done so, when on a visit to her mother, she was attacked, immediately on leaving her husband's house, with symptoms which were attributed to the then prevailing epidemic of cholera. Her strong constitution, however, surmounted the attack, and after a few days she returned home. Scarcely had she got there when Hartung was seized, or pretended to be seized, with the premonitories of the epidemic, manifesting great fear, resorting to every palliative in his power, and finally yielding to her anxious entreaties to be put to bed. His wife devoted herself to him, never leaving his side, and it consequently fell to her lot to administer to him a broth which he induced her to join with him in drinking. Of what took place then there was no evidence, as they were alone, except that a few hours afterwards she was seized with violent pains, which shortly after ended in her death. At first no suspicion arose. The attending physician, Dr. Neiman, signed the usual certificate that the death was occasioned by Asiatic cholera. The insurance company, however, which was so closely affected by her death, began naturally enough to feel some curiosity when called upon to pay. This was increased by the extraordinary activity with which Hartung pressed for the payment. A voluminous correspondence ensued, of which the company called for a post-mortem examination, which, however, he very artfully succeeded in avoiding, at last by threats, on one hand, of exposure of a corporation which was willing to receive premiums, but not to pay losses, and partly by an appeal to his own desolate situation after all his great losses, he succeeded in obtaining payment in full. The examination into the causes of the aunt's death, however, led to a reconsideration of the case of the wife. The exhumation of her remains was at last determined on. A commission was constructed for the purposes of a post-mortem examination, on which were placed eminent medical experts, among whom was the physician who had attended the deceased in her last moments. Twenty months had elapsed since death, but the degree of preservation was such as to leave no question of identity. The results of the chemical examination was decisive. An amount of arsenic was found in the stomach abundantly enough to have caused her death. Strong circumstantial evidence also existed, showing the cause of the wife's first sickness to have been the same as her last. When these facts were mentioned to Hartung, he replied merely by protesting against the prejudice that had been excited against him, but denying all agency in his wife's death. In March 1853, his trial came on in Magdeburg, when, to the surprise of all, he pleaded not guilty to his aunt's murder, and maintained that his confession to the police magistrate was dictated by the desire only to get rid of a harassing and protracted examination, and to bring on a speedy trial. The result was, however, unavoidable. He was convicted of his aunt's murder, 
and was finally executed. Before his execution he made a full confession of having poisoned both his aunt and his wife. End of section 59